0: Welcome to Outside Source Football. This is a show
1: about what's going on inside the NFL. Your hosts, Evan Mick and Ty Ruddy, bring the latest predictions and updates from the league. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. This is Outside Source Football. My name is Evan Mick, and I am joined here by Ty Ruddy. And we're just going to jump right in with our top 10 tight ends of the 2023 NFL Draft. Hi, I think you're going to start us off with number 10.
0: Okay, so at number 10, I have McKellen Castles out of UC Davis. He's a a solid tight end. He's like 6'5", 220. That's that's what they have him listed at on ESPN. Pretty productive year last year. 30 receptions, 347 yards, only two touchdowns. So I don't really know a whole lot about this guy. I don't know exactly what you're getting. But, I mean, from the looks of it, he seems pretty productive and a solid choice for, you know, maybe the bottom of the – bottom of the packet tight ends
1: for my number 10 i have josh wiley on cincinnati a lot of my tight end is rankings are based more on the receiving aspect than the blocking aspect because outside of offensive linemen it's really really hard to find blocking aspect film the top couple guys i do but the bottom guys it's just it's such a such a pressure so i have josh wiley he has good speed and okay acceleration He's pretty good after the catch, and he's a good route runner. He's listed at 6'6", 250, so he's a pretty average size, I'd say, NFL tight end. Maybe a little bit on the big side, guy. maybe like 240 would be average. But, I mean, pretty big guy, good speed, okay acceleration. You know, just you kind of know he's a solid guy.
0: So at number nine, I have Will Mallory out of the University of Miami, Florida. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that I feel like with these – bottom couple tight ends first of all you don't know exactly what you're getting and then also i mean how many tight ends are there really in any given draft and so i i feel like with these bottom five tight ends they're not obviously top tier players whereas sometimes you'll have 10 really good running backs or let's say like 15 really good receivers in the class and it's hard to distinguish between the top 10 i feel like these guys it's pretty clear that they're you know you know what I mean,
1: yeah, even once you get to kind of the n f l level it's it's harder to distinguish once you get past seven eight once you get past like that dallas goddard t j hawkinson type region, right, all the other guys are a little more baseline it's it's hard to distinguish which ones are better because they all have different aspects of their game that are good and all different aspects of their game that are bad,
0: yeah. And so I'll just go ahead and say at number nine I have Will Mallory out of the University of Miami, Florida. Six five, two forty, so good size, uh, which I would assume means that he's got a solid blocking blocking package. He also ran a really nice forty. He ran a a, a four five four, which is you know for his size not bad at all. He had a productive year this year, five hundred thirty eight yards, three touchdowns for a tight end in the ACC. That's, that's not too bad. He's also a five-year guy, so that's, that's pretty interesting. He's got a lot of experience.
1: Yeah, and also with the, uh, with the tight ends thing, going back to that real quick, these guys that you've mentioned so far, your number 10 and your number 9, aren't even guys that I got the opportunity to watch film on because there are so many different tight ends in, the, in college once you get past those top couple guys. But with that being said, my number 9 is Payne Durham out of Purdue, He's 6'5, 255. He's a decent route runner with decent hands. He's got pretty good straight line speed, and he's willing to shul- lower his shoulder and take a hit. But to be honest, he's just more of a consistent guy who you'd send on a routes and you're not upset. But while he's taking a hit, 95% of the time, he's falling forward and getting that one extra yard just because of how big he is and because he always lowers the shoulder. But he's not breaking tackles, per se. But he does get those extra one or two yards.
0: Eight. I have Luke Schoonmaker out of Michigan. I'm sure you have him a bit higher. do you have him higher?
1: I don't have him in my top ten
0: okay well I have a number I'm a number eight four hundred and eighteen yards this year three touchdowns he's also got very nice size six six two fifty which is actually more I guess when I say he has nice size he's got nice height because that's more of him on the skinny end I guess for someone who's six six right that's pretty
1: yeah he's a little little bigger yeah same size as my first guy Josh Wiley
0: okay. So, uh, and, you know, nice size, nice productive year. And I think he's he's been fairly productive for Michigan these past couple of years. So he's my number eight.
1: At my number eight, I have a Division two guy, um, Tucker Craft, out of South Dakota State. He's listed at 6'5", 255. He's pretty good after the catch, decent speed, fine routes. My biggest complaint about him is that he doesn't use his wingspan when he's making catches. He's kind of got these alligator arms that he likes to make catches with. Um, he seems to have, sorry, the other thing is that he's not playing as much high talent. There's a lot of risk risk involved with him for sure. He also only played seven of like their 14 games, but he did play their last two games. So he is healthy, but once again, not a hugest sample size because Division Two athlete only played seven games. So the production was there in those seven games, but it wasn't there all season because of the injuries.
0: Number seven, I have your number 10. I have Josh Wiley out of Cincinnati. 6'6", listed at 248. Massive wingspan, 78 inches, which I thought was pretty impressive. That's, that's a solid win- wingspan, which means he can go up and, and make plays on the ball. He's got some nice athleticism, 4'6", 940, which for someone his size is pretty good. And he's had three very productive years at, uh, at Cincinnati. Six touchdowns in both his sophomore and his junior year. And then three touchdowns this year. So he's been, he's been a solid tight end for them.
1: At my number seven, I have Davis Allen out of Clemson. He's 6'6", 250. He doesn't have great acceleration. His routes are not great, but he has phenomenal concentration, great hands. He's a good contested ball catcher just kind of in general. It doesn't make him the most physically gifted guy as far as speed goes and as far as athleticism goes. But if you get him a good quarterback or an accurate quarterback, and you get him like a like a Matthew Stafford that's a more of an accuracy guy than a separation guy, he'll make some good catches. He's also not great at breaking tackles after the catch.
0: At number six, I have Tucker Craft out of the, was it Division?
1: South Dakota State, Division 2.
0: Is it Division 2 or is it Division 1 FCS, right?
1: Oh, is that FCS? I think
0: it's FCS because they just beat North Dakota State in the championship, which is pretty wild because North Dakota State's pretty solid in that FCS division. But anyway, he's uh, he's a guy who's very big, 6'5", 255, so he's got some nice size on him, got some nice speed and nice athleticism, and he's been a very productive player for them these past couple of years.
1: My apologies. They actually they are D1. He is correct. At my number six, I have Cameron Latou out of Alabama. He's a good athlete. He's pretty quick as far as acceleration and speed combination goes, and he's got good hands. He's listed at 6'5", 245.
0: My number five is Darnell Washington out of Georgia. He's more of a a luxury guy than a necessity. He's not like – he's more of a role player, I guess, uh, in terms of the receiving game. Uh, So he's not – he wouldn't be a necessity to any offense – but he would certainly be nice to have.
1: At my number five, I have Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State. He's listed at 6'6", 250. He's got good hands. He holds on through contact really, really well, which is by far his best trait. His balance after he gets the ball in the hands is really bad. Do you have have Luke Musgrave on your list? Yeah. Luke Luke Musgrave is a really interesting guy because right after he catches the ball – He seems to be tripping over himself almost instantly every single time. He likes to run with his head down a lot. I mean, his routes are fine. He seems like an athletic guy, which is why I just don't understand this confusing problem with the ball. Mm. It just—it doesn't really make any sense to me why this is happening, and I don't know if this is one of those things that it's like, oh, you can coach this out of him very easily, because it's something that he does almost every single time, and it drives me insane because sometimes he has – that space, there's one time where he's a wide-open touchdown, and the throw is pretty much on his chest. He just catches it and, like, falls down at the 1, and I was like, what in the world just happened? I mean, he caught it at, like, the 7, so he didn't fall down immediately, but he kind of just started falling in slowly, and then he hit the ground at the 1, and I was like, what in the world?
0: So it's the balance issue?
1: It is the balance issue. That's what's really killing me with him.
0: Number four, I have Sam Laporta. He's an Iowa guy, about 6'4", 250. And really nice athleticism. He ran a four five nine at the draft, which is you know pretty solid for someone of that size. And then also for someone at his position, he's only had, a, I mean, a very minimal number of touchdowns in the past three years combined. I think it's been like three touchdowns in three years. But he's close to twenty four hundred yards over those three years. So that leads me to believe that he's more of a possession guy, really, than a than a big time playmaker. But I definitely think that works in the NFL still. But, you, I mean, you see these guys like Travis Kelsey and Dallas Goddard who are these big-time playmakers, but I don't I don't think the, the old role of a tight end is completely gone, do you?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that's still very valuable. Red zone guys, red zone tight ends, a lot of people bring in jumbo sets. So if he's the type of guy that you have as maybe not your starting tight end, but your number two tight end, you put him in in the red zone and you're like, all right, if I want to fake a run and run a rollout pass because we're on the one-yard line and teams do that very often, that's an extremely common thing, he is one of those tight ends that has the ability to do that. And there's some tight ends that in college you just kind of watch them drop the ball and you're like, I don't know if he would be ready in that scenario, but yeah. obviously he's not one of those guys.
0: And that's that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with a lot of these tight ends, unless you're... A top two tight end in a draft class, you probably can't really expect to be a number one guy, especially out of the gate. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you'll get a tight end every once in a while who's like, okay, he's going to start. But for a lot of these guys, it's basically you're drafting him for a very specific role.
1: But also with that being said, I think this tight end class is a hundred times better than the the tight end class last year the tight end class last year was very weak there was no first round should have been tight ends i can't remember if the bucks technically drafted k dotton in the first round it would have been late first round but he wasn't like a a first round really worthy prospect he was maybe a mid second round type of guy but there's this this year there is a couple guys who i would like i would draft these guys in the first round just without hesitation okay at my number 4 I have Dalton Kincaid out of Utah. He's listed at 6'4", 240. He's probably one of the smallest tight ends on my list, only 6'4". But he's 6'4", 240, so he's still pretty compact. He's not that small. He has great ball skills, good concentration. His routes are fine. He lined up in the slots sometimes, and he did fine, so that's always a good sign because when you can line up not in the tight end position, it gives your offensive coordinator A lot of different options, and it makes them so their defensive coordinator can't be prepared for whatever you're going to do.
0: My number three is Luke Musgrave, again, out of uh, Oregon State. You said you don't necessarily like him a whole lot. I didn't watch film on him, so I can't, you know, refute you on that. Going strictly off of metrics here, he's 6'6, 250, which is, again, nice size. We've talked about a few guys with that kind of size in this draft class, Uh, and he kind of showed out at the combine a little bit. I mean, he ran a 4 almost a 40-inch vert, which, I mean, it was like a 36-inch vertical. So that's, that's pretty impressive. That shows some athleticism at tight end. Uh, and yeah, again, he's one of those guys who's been very productive for Oregon State over these past few years. He's my number three.
1: At my number three, I have Sam Laporta out of Iowa. I believe that he was the Big Ten tight end of the year if i'm if i'm correct i might be wrong on that one but i'm pretty sure that he was his hands are fine not extremely special go though he is one of those guys who i did get to watch block he's 6'4 250 he is a pretty good blocker he's an amazing route runner and he's great after the catch he's hard to bring down he's a guy who has vertical and lateral speed he's not extremely explosive and he's just one of those guys who it's you might never You're never really going to tackle him with a DB that well because he's he's got such a nice center of gravity.
0: My number two is Michael Mayer.
1: Can I just preface this real quick? Number two and number one are the first-round guys. Uh, Okay, Uh, yeah. Very huge cutoff between number two and number three. Like These guys are the guys you're drafting that you're like, I want a tight end who's good right away. I want a new style tight end this is the guy that I'm hoping to be my next Travis Kelsey. I mean, obviously, that's high expectations for anybody, but this is the guy that you want to be that talented tight end. These are the guys that, like, they weren't in this class last year. They probably won't be in this class next year. It's not very often that you have college tight ends doing this. Mm -hmm. So this this is the cutoff right here. Two and one are both this talented.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say that. We talked about a cutoff earlier, and I think this is it. So, yeah, Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame, he is just crazy athletic for a big guy. He ran something like a four-six in the combine with a thirty-two inch vert. And his his stats over the past two years specifically, but I mean he was productive in his freshman year as well. But I mean these just speak for themselves. 840 yards with seven touchdowns in 2021, 809 yards with nine touchdowns in 2022. And we were listing stats earlier of like those bottom five guys, and it's like three touchdowns. And so he is head and shoulders above the rest of these guys, obviously except for number one. But he's my number two.
1: I actually did forget something in terms of drafting. I said next year they probably won't have a guy like this. So the guy that I have at number two, his name is Darnell Washington out of Georgia. He's 6'7", 270, and he might not be the best tight end on their roster. If you go to Georgia's roster, they have a phenomenal tight end. His name is, is escaping me right now, but great athlete. He might be better than better than both of these guys, but very rare that you see tight ends of, the, of this caliber. So Darnell Washington is a great receiving threat. He's obviously huge. He has good concentration and is a good route runner, and I had him at number two. This was all before Combine, and I... Watching the combine, I would still have him at number two because the combine is obviously not that important. But he made this phenomenal catch that just shows off his athleticism. I don't know. Did you see that one? I did not, no. It's a. It's on Instagram. It's actually It's pretty sick. Okay. You I'll, should go watch that. I'll watch it. He's still a little bit slower because he is 6'7", 270. He's, but he is a guy who's hard to bring down as well. Very hard to tackle because he is so big. But he's not extremely fast. He's an okay – he's a – He's a good blocker. Sorry. he's As far as tight ends go, he's a good blocker. But the biggest difference between him and number one is that number one is a much better blocker, especially in terms of consistency and pass blocking. Because in terms of run blocking, you're just kind of blocking the guy in front of you. But pass blocking requires more athleticism as far as speed goes. Number one for me is faster and um, has a better pass set.
0: Uh, So, number one, I have Dalton Kincaid from uh, Utah. I think that's how you say his name, Dalton. Yeah, Kincaid. 6'4", 245, so good size. Maybe a little bit smaller than some of these other guys, but that doesn't really matter when you look at his stats. It's been like he's a five-year guy, and it's 3,500 yards over the past five years with 35 touchdowns. Obviously, you can do the averages on your own. But, I mean, just insanely productive over these past five years for the Utes. That's the reason he, he's my number one. He's he's just the total package in terms of tight ends.
1: Wait, did you not have Darnell Washington on your list? No, I didn't. What number was he?
0: He's like six or something.
1: Wow. I had him low. That is not. My number one is actually Michael Mayer.
0: Okay. Wait, did you have Dalton Kincaid on your list?
1: Yeah, he was number four. Oh, okay. Michael Mayer is the complete new tight end style package. Like He's a new tight end. Great as far as receiving goes phenomenal hands and concentration, a good route runner. He's probably more dangerous of a receiving threat than any receiver in his class except the top 3, which is is really huge to say, but it's mostly because he's a matchup nightmare is what they a lot of people call them because he's too big for DBs and he's too fast for linebackers. You'd need a guy like like a Fred Warner to cover this kind of guy, he's just a matchup, matchup nightmare. He's extremely fast, extremely good at breaking tackles. Obviously, he's not perfect. He is not Travis Kelsey. He's not George Kittle. But he has that potential. He has that kind of ceiling. He is 6'4, 265. So he is big and he's a little bit shorter than Darnell Washington is. But even though he has the same weight, he is quite a bit faster. As far as blocking, there's some film of him absolutely body and corners. It's actually kind of funny. And he's a much better pass blocker because of his, his speed. All right. Thank you for listening to 1017 Outside Source Football on Radio Free Hillsdale. We're going to talk about really quickly, what do you think the Bears should do with the number one overall pick?
0: I would take Jalen Carter. You've mentioned multiple times that he's the best draft prospect that you've seen in a long time. And I think you've won me over, especially since that they need – Incredible help on the D-line, especially. They could take an edge rusher. They could take someone like Will Anderson, but I think it'd be tough to pass up the opportunity to take someone like Jalen Carter with the number one pick. I could see them also taking a quarterback, maybe Stroud or uh, Bryce Young, just as a a project guy behind fields, Um, but that's more of a secondary option. I think they would be silly not to take something on the D-line, And I think they would have a very hard time passing up Jalen Carter specifically.
1: So I think that the Bears should trade back to the Texans because I think the Texans might be willing to trade up for the number one overall pick. I don't think you're going to get a lot from the Texans because it's only jumping two to one. And then I think if it's possible, you should trade back with the Colts. If it's possible, you should trade back with the Lions. But I don't think that in the position that they're in, either one of those two teams will be looking for a trade if the Bears already have number two. So at that point, I think you should trade back to I think it's seven, maybe it's eight and nine. Is the Falcons and the Panthers and they're back to back, and they'll be looking to kind of jump each other and jump other teams in the quarterback race so that that you know they can't get jumped. Right. I just think that they'd be looking looking to jump somebody. So then you have some good draft capital, and I think you should if you end up with two first round picks, draft. JSN with that first pick because that's where the, the Falcons and Panthers would end up. And there's nobody above you that needs a receiver more than they need any other position. So JSN should still be on the board. And Quinton Johnson is like number one on a lot of people's boards. And the other thing that I think sh- they should do is they should draft that lineman out of Ohio State. His name is also slipping my mind right now. He's I'm so huge. sorry. He is huge. He's good because you could really play him at tackle or guard and you could replace your, probably your worst lineman course that's that would be a really good pick because he's huge and he's still pretty fast we saw that on the combine mm-hmm. and it would be a very hard pick to get for them but if that's at all possible jsn and him would be a great first round for them all right thank you so much for listening to 101.7 outside source football we'll be back after a quick break Hello and welcome back to Outside Source Football. We will be moving on to the actual NFL season, predicting the 2023 bottom five teams. So these are power rankings, so it's not technically how we think our record or their records will end up, because it depends on strength of schedule and division play, but this is just our bottom five teams, teams that we want our team to play against the most.
0: <laughs> what if of. your team is in the bottom five?
1: Well, then that sucks. <laughs> So you're going to start off with number five, which is technically number 27. So we're going from 27 to 32.
0: Okay. So at number five, I'm going to start with the Indianapolis Colts, even though they should probably objectively be lower. I'm going to be as subjective as possible. They need to be in the bottom five because they're just terrible, but I don't think I could bring myself to put them any lower than the best of the worst teams. They have no quarterback and the front office is constantly changing. They just made a new hire at head coach, and I think it was a good decision. But there's just way too many holes in both the offense and the defense, and so I'm not going to put them any lower than 27, but they probably should be. They're my number five.
1: Yeah, and you're listening to 101.7 Radio Free Hillsdale because I did forget to say that. Uh, So at my number five, so my 27th best team is the Raiders. So the Raiders have no quarterback. Jarrett Stidham is not the answer. They have some decent pieces, especially offensively, because they have—they still have Adams, they still have Waller, they still have Josh Jacobs because they franchise-tagged him, but they are not in a good position to have a quarterback, and they're not in a good position to go get one. Their coaching was fine, maybe. Their defense has huge holes, and they have a lot, a lot, a lot of failed first-round draft picks. Just so, so many, and I just don't trust them to get a guy that will help them have success this year, and so they're going to get a lot of points scored on them, and because of their quarterback situation, they're not going to be able to keep up with that.
0: Number 20, well, I'd be 28, but technically number 4, I have the Denver Broncos. For the second time this decade, they are looking to Peyton to save their franchise. Sean Payton, that is. Sean Payton. Sean Payton. I don't know really why they did that. It's certainly good for him. He's going to make a lot of money. Uh, he's a good quarterback coach. I will give him that. And Lord knows Russell Wilson needs a good quarterback coach. I can't remember. Was it you? You've said you don't think Russell Wilson was as bad as people said, right? Or was that not you?
1: No, I think that I think that Nathaniel Hackett wasn't as bad as people said he was. Okay. I and think that Russell Wilson could make a comeback. Okay. I do think he was as bad last year as people people think he was. He okay. was awful last year. Yeah. But I think that he has the opportunity because of the talent that we've seen from him. And I actually do believe in Sean Payton. Okay. And I just think that I think that Russell Wilson could make a comeback.
0: Okay. I'm I'm rooting for Russell Wilson. I'm also rooting for Sean Payton because I like both of them. Uh, I just thought it was kind of an interesting hire because he's been out of football for – he was out of football last year, right? I mean, he, he didn't coach the Saints. Yeah,
1: he did not coach. That's correct.
0: So uh, I thought it was an interesting hire. I'm rooting for both of them, but for now they're my number four twenty eight.
1: I just I really think that the Broncos are in such a great spot with every position except quarterback because the one thing different from the Broncos from all my other bottom five teams is that none of my bottom five teams had a top three defense in the NFL last year, and none of my bottom five teams all of them are were already bottom five or getting worse at some position. Okay. Of value. Where I don't think the Broncos are getting worse at any position and they were barely bottom five last year, and they had an amazing defense. And if Sean Payton coaches Russell Wilson to be a top twenty-five quarterback, they'll be successful.
0: Do you think that's all it takes?
1: That's, to, I mean, to be a top half team, all you have to have is the number twenty-five offense and the number. At one point last year, if they would have scored eighteen points in I, every game up I, to week week nine, yeah. you've definitely seen the stats. I have before. seen that. Yeah. If Insane. they would have scored every single game only 18 points, which would have still put them at the worst in the NFL by four, by I think it was four points, they would have been eight and one. Mm. They would have Mm -hmm. had the second best record in the NFL behind only the Philadelphia Eagles if they would have scored 18 points every game, but they were so awful that they couldn't do that.
0: That is crazy. And I think it really speaks to like, you hear like defenses win championships all the time, but I think it generally is true in the NFL because I don't know if you've seen this, but the Vikings had a negative point differential last year and made it was it two rounds into the playoffs?
1: No, they lost. They lost in the first round to the either, Giants.
0: Either way, they made the playoffs with a negative point differential, and I think they only had three or four losses on the years. Am I correct in saying that?
1: You are correct in that. They were they were 12 and 5, I think.
0: And so that I mean, I guess yeah, that's that is a good point that you make that a top half offense really can go a long way. Now, obviously, obviously a stellar numbered one offense or top five offense goes further but you know
1: and going back to the Vikings they made the playoffs they were the number three seed and they were phenomenal during the regular season because their offense was so good in spite of the fact that their defense was so bad because the Vikings defense was not good they were constantly letting up points in not close games when their offense couldn't score their defense was giving up points because the only way that their defense was ever making stops was because their offense was scoring and constantly at least getting them into a good enough position that they were punting the ball deep into the other team's territory and they were always giving their defense an opportunity. When, the, when they got blown out, they were giving the other team's um, good field position, good stuff like that. The Colts, when they had decent field position, they scored on them almost every single drive. Mm. And the Vikings were still 12-5, and five, which points out just to the fact that how much more valuable in the NFL today the offense is than the defense. Yeah. So at my number four, which is my number 28, I have the Falcons. I think they're in a very similar spot to the Raiders. They're not in a good position to be get a quarterback. Fine coaching, maybe. They have some good pieces, but like Kyle Pitts and I don't really like Jake London. A.J. Terrell's pretty good. But just a lot of holes, even more than the Raiders, The only thing that the Raiders have over them or the only thing the Falcons have over the Raiders is they have an okay chance of getting Lamar Jackson because of his contract. And especially now that they non-exclusive franchise tagged them, which I'm going to explain after we're done with this really quick. uh, They have a chance of getting Lamar.
0: I just want to talk about this real quick. Who were the teams? Did you see this? There were like five teams that expressed explicitly expressed that they have no interest in Lamar. I just was wondering if you've seen that yet. Okay. It was like. The Panthers. There were a couple other teams, but I thought I'd just throw that out there. My number three is the Atlanta Falcons. They have so many holes, and just especially at the quarterback, they have so many free agents. They do have a lot of cap space, so they can make a splash in the free agency, I guess, but the whole makeup of this team is going to look a lot different next year.
1: Yeah, and in free agency, it's a lot easier to cover up the small holes you have with veteran guys than it is to to build a team it's so hard to build a team through free agency
0: i agree and so i think the makeup of the the team is going to look different next year there were seven and ten last year which i mean is not good uh i think they'll be worse next year Yeah, i think they'll be worse yeah. too
1: okay so my number my three i have the bears so the bears are trending in the right direction but moves like trading the 30 number 32 overall pick because the dolphins forfeited theirs so technically this is a first round pick to the Steelers for Chase Claypool, do not help their cause. They have a good young quarterback who has a lot of possess- potential and but no weapons around him. A lack of defensive talent all around. A bad O-line. Just holes everywhere. Their one bright spot is the quarterback and they do have the number one overall pick. There's some good QBs which makes the one, number one overall pick more valuable because teams might want to trade up and they might be able to trade back and get multiple picks but they just have a lot of holes, and I'm not dependent on a whole bunch of rookies to fill all those holes.
0: I think that's exactly right. And they're my number two. Uh, obviously, they have ninety-three million dollars in cap space, which is a lot. I think it's the most in the NFL. But they also have twenty free agents who are gonna hit the free agency. Is it this month? Is that the deadline?
1: Yeah, that's this. That's, that's this coming month.
0: Okay, so they have twenty free agents who are gonna hit free agency. Obviously, that's not great. They can't re-sign all of them. They do have the number one overall pick, which is what you just mentioned. But I think the Bears are in for maybe another another rough year next year. They were 3-14 and this year. Maybe something similar. Maybe a little bit better next year. But I think it's going to be something similar. Obviously, with Justin Fields at quarterback, he's got a lot of potential. He's got a very high ceiling. So I could see maybe down the road the Bears – Improving drastically, but I think it's definitely going to take a couple of years to kind of make those steps.
1: Yeah, and I think they'll just they'll pull out a couple of games just because of Justin Fields' running talent. Like he'll he'll run them to a couple of games yeah. just with a couple of touchdowns.
0: And they have to beat the Lions once a year, so they'll do that.
1: But. No, they they don't have to beat the they didn't <laughs> beat the Lions last year. Thank okay. you very much. All right. Neither did the Packers. I'm sorry, I had to say that. Stupid Packers. <laughs> so my number two team is probably somebody that. <laughs> I don't think that you realized, when I say this, you're going to be like, shoot, maybe they were a bottom five team. The Cardinals are similar to the Bears. They have one bright spot left. So they just lost J.J. Watt. DeAndre Hopkins is probably gone after this year. They have the worst secondary in the NFL, which means that they can get good draft capital for DeAndre Hopkins but they are, and they already have decent draft capital. But they don't have the number one overall pick like the Bears do. They hired a good but defensive-minded head coach, which, throughout history, as we were just talking about defenses, last year there were in the final eight teams that made it in the playoffs. The final eight teams left. Seven out of the eight head coaches were offensive-minded, proving that offensive-minded head coaches have performed better over the last couple of years as defensive mind head coaches. Brandon Staley was supposed to be an amazing coach and hire. Once again another defensive guy who just turned out so horribly. That one defensive guy I will give a shout out, Sean McDermott. Phenomenal coaching job last year. So the one bright spot that I mentioned, Kyler Murray, who's like, all right, we like they and then they have uh Hollywood Brown. He's okay. But the one bright spot that I mentioned, Kyler Murray is not supposed to return until like halfway through the season, and they're not going to draft another quarterback if Kyler Murray's not playing because they still have Kyler Murray on the roster, so there's no reason for them to draft another guy. They're not going to get a good replacement for him, and they'll just be... I don't know if they... They might lose out until Kyler Murray comes back, maybe pull out a random game.
0: Yeah. that No, that is a good point because they're also on their fourth coaching hire in seven years which is just absurd so they probably are a bottom five team number one for me number 32 I think it's fairly obvious I'm pretty sure you have the same yeah I definitely do. the Houston Texans Texans. they're just they're just terrible I mean they still have Davis Mills at quarterback or who is their quarterback
1: I actually kind of like Davis Mills but (laughs) either way he's he's, not a franchise he's not a franchise guy but he's a top 32 quarterback but I, I do agree. Here's what, here's what I'll say. They have so many holes. They have a good left tackle, a singular good safety, a great running back. Damian Pierce was phenomenal last year. But the entire rest of their team is horrible, and it's not close. They have a good draft pick. They have number two. But once again, they don't have number one, which is much more valuable. Yeah. The jump from pick number one to number two is one of the biggest jumps in all drafts of all sports. They hired a good head coach, but once again, another defensively minded guy. And I actually really like this hire because I am a huge fan of of this guy, he's the San Francisco defensive coordinator, and for some reason, I actually can't remember his name either. That's kind of embarrassing. It's just the fact that even if they get a franchise QB, they are still miles behind. If if they get a franchise QB, like if they got a guy who came in and was top 10 quarterback their first year, yeah. They're probably still a bottom 5 team. Yeah, I mean, they're I- that Bad. There's
0: almost no way they escape the bottom five. I mean, they're going to be terrible. I, they were 3-13 and last year. I wouldn't be surprised if they're worse next year.
1: I, I think that that's stretching it. You think so? Because I also think that...
0: I mean, they play the Colts twice a year. So Lovie Smith
1: true. was a good def- defensive coordinator, but once again...
0: Either way, they're just, they're just so... They have so many holes, and it's a really big problem for them. Maybe... Well, first of all, what do you think they do with the number... Two pick if they stay at number two, and what do you think they do with the number one pick if the Bears do decide to trade back?
1: Well, obviously if they if they trade up to number one, it's because they want a specific quarterback.
0: And you think they would go with a quarterback oh, no matter what? If
1: they're trading up, they're taking a quarterback. Okay. I guarantee I would be willing to pay pay money, like bet like a hundred dollars <laughs> that if they traded up they'd be taking a quarterback.
0: What do you think it would be? Stroud?
1: I I don't know. Just a quarterback. I a quarterback. I don't think it would be Young if you're trading up. Okay. Yeah. I think it would be either Shroud or Richardson. I think Richardson would be a huge mistake as far as their franchise goes because their franchise is not ready for Richardson, especially with a defensive-minded coach who is not like a a quarterback coach, you know. He's a defensive guy. But if they do trade up to number one, I think it will be Shroud, if I had to guess. I'm not willing to place money on that, though. But I I hope kind of for the Texans' sake – that they stay at number two because they need all the draft capital that they can get. And okay. they just draft a quarterback there, Shroud, Richardson, or Young, yeah. hopefully. Probably, probably Shroud will probably be gone at one. Young will probably be gone at two is okay. my is my prediction. But okay. I, I, it's it's like really hard to read into the mind of the GMs until about two nights before draft night when all the news gets released of like all the GMs' big boards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. No, fair enough.
1: You're listening to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. Really quickly, I want to talk about the Lamar Jackson franchise tag. So can okay. you look up really quickly, was it exclusive or not exclusive Because I can't remember which one's which.
0: It's Lamar Jackson
1: franchise. Lamar Jackson, just look up, is it f- exclusive? So there's exclusive and non-exclusive franchise tags. And one of those franchise tags means that you can't go anywhere else. We're paying you like top four positional money. So like they average like the top I don't know top five what, or six guys.
0: One day ago, Ravens placed non-exclusive franchise tag. Yeah, so QB. the ex-
1: exclusive one is that Lamont means days. that you can't go meet with anybody else. The non-exclusive one, I can go say I get non-exclusively tagged. I can go to any other team and I can go try to make a deal with them. And if I figure out like a fifty million dollar deal, then the team that I was just on either has to match that or the team that I was just on has to let me go but if the team that I was just on let me go lets me go that new team has to give up two first round picks so basically they priced him at whatever his contract cost plus two first round picks this could be I don't know exactly what the Ravens are pl- pl- like the plan is I don't know if they they I mean there's two options here either they think somebody else is going to sign him for that much money and they want the two first-round picks, or they think that he's crazy and that nobody will pay him that much money. It'll be really interesting to see what what happens with that, but that's what a non-exclusive franchise tag means. It means that he can go meet with other teams and discuss contracts, and if he finds a really big contract that the Ravens don't want to match, he's going to walk. He's going to walk. So that's what a non-exclusive franchise tag is.
0: This is what I was mentioning earlier. This came out earlier today. This is Yahoo Sports. According to multiple reports, the Washington Commanders, Las Vegas Raiders, Atlanta Falcons, and Carolina Panthers are among the teams not expected to court the 2019 league MVP. And they actually all came out and explicitly said that they will not be doing that.
1: That's actually – that's pretty huge because Atlanta is one of the big teams that was would have been the only team – one of the only teams that would have done it. Yeah. One of the only teams that could have done it. All right, really quick. We're listening to 101.7 Radio Free Hillsdale, Outside Sports Football. We're going to talk about a couple of combine stuff, just some small little things. The combine is not extremely important. It's a lot of show. It's a lot of fun for the players and stuff. But it's not extremely important as far as, oh, this guy's fast. He's gonna He runs a fast 40. He must have fast speed. Yeah. But I think that there's a couple of things that stick out to each one of us and, you know, every single thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with Bryce Young's size. He actually came in at 205 pounds and 5'10", which sounds small, it is, but it's actually a really, really good size because it's 15 pounds bigger than what we thought he was going to be, and this is very good for Young, who was one of the smallest QBs. If he came in at that 190, he would have been the smallest QB. Now instead, he's about the size of Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. He's not the same type of player that either one of those guys are. Very different prospect. He is still small, but he doesn't seem as small as before since he's at 205 pounds.
0: We're going with winners here of the Combine. I have Nolan Smith. I read a report that said he measured in at a measly 6'2", 243, and I was like, ah, I'd kill for that size. But I don't think that's really that big of a deal for him because he ran a four-three-nine forty with a 41-inch vertical, and that's just absurd.
1: Yeah, me, I said that for Nolan Smith, I said I was not a huge fan of Nolan Smith, and this doesn't make me a big fan. I still don't really like Nolan Smith. But it makes me believe that he brings some kind of value to some kind of team, more as a third down rusher again. But it actually – there is – that value is actually there. I have Anthony Richardson, phenomenal. I agree. I Like, we knew kind of how good of an athlete he was, but we didn't know exactly how good. He broke the combine record for quarterback vertical and broad jump. I know he broke vertical. I'm pretty sure he broke broad – or you know he broke broad jump. I'm pretty sure he broke vertical. No, I'm assuming
0: he did. It was crazy –
1: like the 99th percentile athlete, we've seen it on film, now we've seen it at the Combine, kind of proves it.
0: Yeah, 4-3, or what was it, Four four three forty, 40 Something like that. Which uh, we've talked before, I've talked before about the comparisons of him to Dak Prescott and Cam Newton. That's so much faster than both of them, and obviously, I think he's one of the premier athletes at quarterback that we've seen, maybe since Lamar. I mean, he's just incredible. And he really showed out in the combine.
1: One more player that I would like to mention, I have JSN, Jackson Smith, out of Ohio State. He ran the fastest 20-yard shuttle and the fastest three-cone drill, which I do think is actually more important than the 40 because it's more realistic to Mm. most players' play styles. I actually agree. And it's less likely for somebody to uh, blow out their hamstring. A lot of prospects don't run these, but these are huge for explosiveness, and his numbers are insanely impressive. But more importantly... This is huge because it shows that he's healthy. If he's running this fast and he's running at the combine, right. he's healthy. Yeah, there's no more injury concerns. I mean, maybe there's like a, you know a small injury concern. He was injured, but not anymore. I mean, it's not even fall camp, and he's already running at the combine. just
0: one more player that I have to mention too is C.J. Stroud. I think it was smart for him not to run and not to test in a lot of those uh, athletic in a lot of those athletic tests. I think that only would have hurt him because the issue of mobility was already a red flag for a lot of teams. So again, I think that was smart. Uh, and then he had just an incredible throwing day. The announcers at the draft talked about it. Analysts talked about it afterward. I mean, you couldn't have you couldn't have like scripted a better throwing day for him. He just showed off perfect footwork and he was extremely accurate. Made the smart decisions and how he tested, and then he showed out in the test that he performed.
1: Thank you for listening to Outside Source Football on 101.7 Radio Free Hillsdale. Please go follow us on Instagram and Twitter on at OSFB underscore pom.